Brian Eaton, and this is Crisis Management, Columbus Business First podcast about doing business amid the coronavirus pandemic. In this episode, I chatted with Benji Balmer, founder of Yellowbird Food Shed. While COVID-19 has wreaked havoc on many businesses and industries, Yellowbird is not one of them. The produce and food delivery company is having its best year ever as products shortages in traditional groceries and high demand for delivery from customers who don't want to physically go into stores has driven more business to Yellowbird. What's even more significant is the company is retaining many of those customers after the initial trial. Today it's working with 150 growers and food producers from around Ohio and serving 1,500 customers through home delivery and pickup sites, the bulk of which are in central Ohio. Balmer wasn't predicting a pandemic, but his business was ready for this moment. He tells us why. He also shared the company's evolution over the past six years and why, if he's doing his job right, he'll put himself out of business. Thanks for listening. joining me here. Um, I think the best place to start is give me a little history of the business. What is uh, Yellowbird uh, Food Shed? And, yeah, and sure. What you do? We started uh, technically uh, as Yellowbird Food Shed in 2014. Uh, before that, my wife and I lived in Finley, Ohio, had a couple kids, and we were beginning to grow a little bit of food for ourselves just as a step kind of in our personal journey. And uh, at the same time, we were learning about other things like milk and bread and a myriad of, of different categories in food. And as we began to change our diet, we noticed that um, friends of ours that were kind of in the same position in life also began to do that along with us. We were kind of researching for them. Mm-hmm. At some point in all that, we would go out to a farm and get milk or we would go out to a farm and we would get chickens. And so we would say to the, our friends, do you want us to get you something while we're out there? So then we started, you know, we we're buying food for them. Well, I kind of jokingly said to my wife, you know, we, we, we might be able to turn this into a business. Like we ought to just do this out of our garage. We kind of kept growing here and there. And as we grew in size and in the amount of food we were growing, we started growing food for people kind of in a traditional CSA model. Mm-hmm. Well, I started going to um, farmer's markets and restaurants and, you know, starting to hit that scene a little bit. And as I, as I did that, a, a clear picture of the food landscape developed. I would look at other growers that I would become friends with, I had networked with, and I would say, is, is, this, is this it? Is this what everybody's fighting for? There's, there, restaurants don't buy very much. Farmers markets are hit and miss. You know, my direct CSA customers are awesome, but there's only, you know, seven to 10 of them. And, mm-hmm. and even the best farm in the world, you know, might only be able to grow 20 or 30 varieties of food, which would leave your CSA members with just, you know, basically every other week getting the same box. And they're like, yeah, this is, this is about what we can do. And, and none of them were full-time growers. You know, they were not making enough money to do that. So they were like a firefighter in a food grower or a construction worker in a food grower or whatever. And I just, I just, it just didn't sit with me. And so I'm like, started formulating ideas around what if we collaborated? I've always called it the sales monster. What if we got enough people together, direct to consumer that said, we want this type of food and 
we want it direct from our growers. We want to know how they're treating the earth, how they're treating their animals, how they're treating their workers on down the line. We will buy their food because we subscribe to all these different things. And so, you know, in the beginning, it was like, well, there was three or four people that I connected with, and then there were 10, and then there were 20. And, and in the meantime, as I'm building up the, the distribution side or the food side, I'm also out selling the concept to consumers, you know? So, hey, why don't you join this? You know, we called it a multi-farm CSA. This is what we're subscribing to. This is why we think it is better for the planet, for you, for the grower, you know, our local economies, all these different things. And so we would get like, you know, 30 people and then three growers. And then we would get 70 people and four or five growers. And then we would get 120 people and then 10 growers. And well, then we started, you know, of course, naturally you start networking with other small businesses that are doing kind of what you're doing. So mm-hmm. not really in the not really in the, the direct like produce side, but, you know, I met, you know, tons of people, restaurant owners. And I always look back at um, some of our early stages. I was delivering food with Dara Schwartz from mm-hmm. uh, Darista Dips. We literally, her and I got in our, my one Yellowbird van and she had, you know, giant eagles and hills markets. And so I would go out and we would deliver her product. And at the meantime, I would network with those people and we would form, her and I would formulate ideas together. And she was launching her business and I was launching my business. Well, you know, eventually now we find ourselves in 2020, you know, we're buying from 150 different growers and producers. We've got a thousand products and some of that is still that core business of three different sizes of CSA boxes that come every week, you know, on and on, along with now, you know, a whole grocery store essentially full of products that we're adding, you know, each week, depending on what your diet is to that. And the cool thing is, is that right now is an explosion of um, small food businesses. The reason I even um, saw your name was seeing the article on North Country. Mm-hmm. You know, I was with North Country in the very beginning. We were, they, that was another story just like Dara. I mean, I literally gave them a, a, a cooler when they were getting started that I had that I didn't need that they could age salami in. And they were looking for me. I'm like, here, just have this one. And so they started doing it. And you know, to watch them grow. Well, you can extrapolate that story out times a hundred because that's how many wonderful business owners and entrepreneurs are out there starting. And, and, and we're starting to see them kind of show up on our radar mm-hmm. and we're adding them to our lineup. So, you know, one that I just recently got a delivery from was Spritz Tea, another mm-hmm. woman owned business there in Columbus. She knew Dara, Dara recommended us. She reached out to us. We're carrying them. So it's like, mm-hmm you know, how many of these folks can we ultimately, I mean, they're still going to sell through all kinds of places, through food trucks or through um, grocery stores or through whatever. But if we can add them to our repertoire and continue to build the, what I call the sales monster, which is this group of people now mm-hmm. thousands strong that are like, listen, we know how important it is for all of the things that I've mentioned, starting with our own bodies, working its way down to the very soil that this food might've been grown in, importance. And and we're checking all those boxes for them and they've become loyal followers where, you know, I get emails all the time, uh, uh, weekly of people that are like, 
hey, I've gotten off medicine, I've lost 45 pounds, I have been able to buy from my parents who were high risk during um, COVID uh, and have it home delivered to them. You know, all these stories of all these things that we had dreamed on the front end that could be possible just by buying food from as close as you can buy it <laughs> um, because it's right in our backyard. That's where it's starting to really become like, oh, this is what we always envisioned it could be. What else now is possible that we never even envisioned because we weren't there yet. And that's where we kind of find ourselves. So to go from that beginning stage, mm -hmm. you know, that I started at 10 minutes ago to here has just been seven years of, can you believe it? But the answer is kind of no, <laughs> but you know, at the same time, yes, of course. And where do we go from here? Who are your customers? You obviously have individual customers that buy, you know, the like the CSA type customers or, or boxes of product. Is it just that or do you are you also still doing distribution uh, for clients to Giant Eagle or to? No, okay. we got so as the company went on, there was yeah. two things that happened. First of all, we went. I had, there was a, a shift in employment, like who, mm -hmm. you know, one of my first guys I ever hired was a driver and he left and went and did something else, moved to Atlanta and I had to hire in some new people. Well, when we did it, we were kind of in a crisis at that point, just because there were so few of us. And I had to buy necessity, stop delivering to uh, restaurants and stop delivering to um, grocery stores, wholesale for people. And when I did that, our business really took off on the on the direct to consumer side and i realized oh i might have sunk the ship if i had continued to try to do all of those things mm -hmm. and so when we got to the tip of the spear and we were going direct to consumer and that was all we did and all we focused on everything took off okay yeah. about when did that shift occur uh probably 2017 okay. 16 17 right in there I am not your customer. What's the pitch to me? If I go to your website, what, what can I get? What do I have access to? And how sure. does it work? You know, no matter what the, what your diet is or mm -hmm. what you're uh, into, we have found in Ohio, the top tier version of that product. So whether it's milk or eggs or pastured meat or just a product like a North country charcuterie mm -hmm. or something that is supporting our Ohio growers, that is the whole pitch. It is every dollar you spend on food, whether you like it or not, is a vote for whatever system that is perpetuating. So if it's fast food, if it's uh, local food, if it's, I don't even know where my food is coming from, you're complicit, whether you mm -hmm. want to be or not. And so what we're doing is we're going out and doing all of that vetting for you on the front end so that you can get the stories. I want you, the consumer, mm -hmm. connected. I, you know, I like that you like Yellowbird, X, Y, and Z consumer. I like that you think it's cute and that you want to have a bandana that says Yellowbird. I love all of that. Ultimately, what I want you to love is I need you to know and be at least virtually shaking hands with the farmers and the producers that are putting this food together for you because that is where the trickle-down economics and the um, saving our family farms and our local communities and all that is taking place. I am writing, I am spending your grocery money for you. So when you give me that 
amount every week, whether it's $25 for a mini box and nothing else, or multiple hundreds of dollars because you're doing all of your grocery shopping with me. I am the guy and, and my team is the team that is driving every single week to every one of these growers and producers and writing them that check straight back to them for the price that they need to be able to do what it is that they're doing. And, and we don't, we're not a wholesaler. So we're not going to them and saying, hey, we can give you nickels on the dollar because that's our model. We're saying, what do you need to be sustainable? Mm -hmm. You tell me because we'll figure out what we need to charge the customer on the front end because we're going to reshape this whole food dynamic where the customer is no longer looking for the cheapest, fastest, easiest, most convenient, most homogenous product that's out there. They're looking for the best tasting, best nutritious, you know, all those check boxes. Plus then we are complicit in how much did the farmer get paid? How mm -hmm. did the soil get treated? How did the animal get treated, et cetera? Because those things, it turns out, are potentially what will help turn the tide on things like climate change mm -hmm. and um, soil erosion and whether or not somebody in the next generation is going to be able to grow food for a living or we're just going to outsource it to God knows where because it's the cheapest, fastest, easiest way. You know, I understand how a whole, how and where a wholesaler makes their money, but if you're not wholesaling, how does Yellowbird uh, uh, make the money you need to to be profitable? And, to, and yes, to that's a great money. question. And we've had to decide. We've had to to figure it out on the fly. Yeah. You know, we had an idea in our mind when we and by we I mean me when this thing started, and it was just me doing every aspect of everything what we thought we could live on. Well, when it was just me in a van, that's one number uh, yeah. of overhead. When you add employees and add coolers and add warehouse and add more vehicles and all that kind of stuff, that number changes. So as we've gone along, we've always lived in that place of what is the maximum amount that we can give back to the growers and producers. And, and sometimes they call that price, you know, hey, mm -hmm. this is what it is. This is what I would have to have. Um, sometimes it's, hey, you know, last year we spent $20,000 with you. This year we're going to spend $80,000 with you. Is there uh, more margin that we can shave on a price per pound mm -hmm. so that we can keep the coolers on? Because ultimately, I want them to be able to do what they need to do in terms of having equipment and having seed and having whatever it might be. But are they ever going to build a giant cooler on their property to be able to keep their harvested product at the temperature it needs to be? Right. Probably not. So in order to do that, what if we drive out to you with our refrigerated vehicles and pick it up to keep it at the best temperature possible? But in the meantime, you know, we both, me and the grower, need to pay for the fuel to be able to do that or mm -hmm. the equipment to be able to do that. And so that's where we try. We're just basically trying to reshape the entire food system based upon knowing who grew our food. That's always been the question. We've always used that as our moniker, who grew your food? Because if you are asking that question, if I'm asking that question, we're finding answers together that then give us the ability to decide, well, then what is a fair price? Because the $5.99 for the chicken at the front of Costco, that's not a fair price. Mm -hmm. And I can tell you a million reasons why. And so I just saw yesterday, Butcher and Grocer, friends of ours, Tony mm -hmm. Tanner, we do a delivery to their location and have for years. They did a half chicken 
out of the uh, smoked it out of the back of their thing and they were like kind of like doing like a little pop-up mm -hmm. well for a half chicken a, a side of greens and a cornbread it was sixteen dollars i know that that's a fair price does the customer know that i don't know and if they don't how can we get them educated to the point where they know oh this is why that chicken costs $16. And it's actually a, a wonderful deal for all of us. And it's the best quality, best tasting, blah, 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 on down the line. There is a hurdle there because mm -hmm. the customer, all of us see that at the front of Costco, I can get a whole chicken for $5.99. What's the story there? And if we ask the question, who grew your food, the story will be uncovered. And in doing so, then we're all gonna stand at the door of truth I can't make you walk through that door, but certainly many, many people are seeing that truth mm -hmm. and beginning to answer the bell and, and respond in a way that is uh, reshaping the food system for what I and Tony Tanners of the mm -hmm. world and everybody else that's trying to do this together would say is for the greater good for all of us. We may not see the benefit in the next one to 10 years, although we will see some, but what if we turn the giant ship that we all know is sinking to, you know, with that small little rudder over a long haul where maybe our children or our children's children still have a fighting chance. How big is your business now in terms of employment or, or trucks or the, the facility that you yeah. operate out of? We've got, so we're in Mount Vernon, Ohio, and yep. we've always been out of the same warehouse. It's an old building that we've gone in and, and refurbished on the inside, built coolers on the inside. We have probably, I would say we have four to 6,000 square feet mm -hmm. in, of cooler space. We've probably got, let me think, we've got three uh, quote unquote trucks, which are mm -hmm. like box trucks. And we've got four vans, all refrigerated. Every one of those are. We probably are hovering somewhere in the range of 20 employees. Mm -hmm. Some of those are just, you know, high school kids that come in for a few hours, a, a couple days a week after they're done with their classes for the day. But then, you know, all the way up to 12, maybe full-time employees. You know, that has all ebbed and flowed continuously as well as we're a I mean, we used to be a seasonal company there was mm -hmm. a you know when we first started it was you know a certain group of weeks during the summer um, none during the winter to the point where we now run 50 weeks a year we only take off thanksgiving week and christmas week to give us all a break and that food is going to continue to i was just writing a newsletter for this week's uh, box or this week's delivery and was saying you know, we run all year because one, we're buying storage crops right now. So, um, you know, all of the things that we can keep throughout the winter to distribute, as well as we now have multiple indoor uh, greenhouse growers mm -hmm. that can grow multiple varieties of greens, Asian greens, cooking greens, like um, uh, chard and, and spinach and kale and all that kind of stuff. Then even some folks like 80 Acres Farm was one farm that mm -hmm. we partnered with last year out of Cincinnati and they grew uh, cherry tomatoes and cucumbers even on top of the greens inside all winter long. So exploring some of those things that are like an alternative to soil agriculture that might be a sustainable model for the future for us to be able to eat year round locally mm -hmm. in some ways that we don't currently even know. But we vet those places out too and we go and see what their models are and what they're doing because we don't want to just subscribe to something that it would be, it would look pretty but still be unsustainable. And so 
and doing all of that, that's kind of how we've morphed into, man, we're delivering all stinking year now. Yeah. Um, what about, what about paying growers that traditionally have not been able to make an income, you know, December through April and, and working with them to have a assist, uh, uh, you know, a, a ongoing source of revenue. Mm -hmm. What does that look like? You know, the first winter we ever did it, we had a hundred people. Uh, the second that we were buying food for the second winter, you know, might've been 200 to this year. We're looking at probably trying to carry over a thousand people 12 months a year, all the way through winter. And do we have it all figured out? No, uh, mm -hmm. we don't, but we've got the numbers that we've used in the past, what that required in terms of food. We're trying to extrapolate that out. We're trying to plan now, obviously mm -hmm. for what is going to come in January, February. This year is the unique situation of we're not just looking towards cold months when food is low. We're looking towards what happens during the flu season when pandemic numbers do whatever they're going to do. People are, are scared maybe or don't want to go out or whatever it might be. How do we plan for that? We're guessing in some regards, but it's mother nature. Of course, we're guessing. If we were to pretend like we had her figured out and that the answers were as black and white as, as we thought they were or as we pretended they were, we would be doing a disservice to what nature actually does. So I'm going to, I'm going to come back to that, but before I forget, what's, what's your current reach? Like you said, you have about a thousand customers you work with. Um, well, that's what we're trying to carry through the winter. We currently gotcha. are delivering about 1500. Now okay. we go to, um, I'm just assuming that based upon our past history, some folks will not um, get food through the winter for whatever sure. reason. Um, but what's your geographic yeah. reach? We yeah. go through all of all of Columbus. So, mm -hmm. you know, any 270 and beyond by a few miles in every direction. We're in Mount Vernon. So, you know, between um, uh, Columbus and Mount Vernon is like New Albany. You know, we mm -hmm. kind of have a drop there. We're in Mount Vernon. We've got a nice drop here. Then on Fridays, we roll uh, to Mansfield, Marion, and then Finley, which is where we this all started, where I'm mm -hmm. from. So we still get up there once a week. My mom and dad still live in Finley and there's still a good part. There's still some good partners up there. So um, on Fridays, we get up to Northwest Ohio and do, and then we hit everywhere along the way, which is that Mansfield, Marion, yeah. um, you know, up to Finley then. Yeah. So yeah. Northwest Ohio, mm -hmm. uh, down to Mount Vernon and then down, and then of course, all of central Ohio. So everything down in the Columbus region. Do you have uh, aspirations to deliver beyond that? Or is that a pretty good well, footprint? It's a good footprint because Columbus is um, still that city that's trending uh, upward, as you know, and the growth mm -hmm. that's there and the different, you know, things that, are, of course, all of the apartment buildings and some of that kind of stuff that's happening, all of the food scene and that's exploding. So, you know, until we feel like we've saturated to the point where we're not growing anymore, it just hasn't happened yet. We've continued to. And mm -hmm. so in order to spread yourself out to a Cleveland or a Cincinnati, which would be the two places we're mm -hmm. not really at, Cleveland has a great company called Fresh Fork and we actually partner with them um, and, and uh, they've got a farm and we buy stuff from them. And, and so, you know, I probably wouldn't go that direction. Cincinnati, I'm sure has something, I don't know who they would be, but in order to make it financially viable, you'd have to have a, you know, a hundred or 200 people down there just yeah. to get started. And so, you know, we'd have to really focus a lot of marketing effort down there and we'd have to have a good partner where we were dropping stuff off at and, you know, that kind of thing. And so it hasn't happened. I've explored it a couple of times, mm -hmm. but until the universe kind of delivers that answer or brings that person or connection to our doorstep, we just haven't connected yeah. it yet. 
Well, and I, I imagine there's also probably, uh, I hope I explained my thinking on this right, but it's like, you probably don't want to get too big, right? Because no. at some level, you're going to be too big and you're going to then start to play into the system that you're you're trying to avoid, right? Yep. I guess that, yeah. you know, I don't know if you're sure. near that point yet, but eventually We're that, not, that but would, yeah. Yeah, I mean, ultimately people have said, well, what about where, how would you franchise it? You know, where, yeah. how would you go, like, let's say um, uh, Oklahoma City, you mm -hmm. know, I'm just pulling that out of a hat. Sure. Well, you, you couldn't. Well, what, I mean, the point is, is that the Oklahoma City citizens would buy from farms that are in Oklahoma. Right. So in order to do it, you would have to go down and spend the first five years doing exactly what I did to start the Yellowbird here, which, mm -hmm. you know, is doable, but it wouldn't be doable by me. I don't yeah. have the time to do it. And so could I advise somebody on how to do it? Sure. But ultimately, would I want my hand in it? Probably not. Yeah. Only because I don't have the bandwidth. Um, you know, and so there needs to be, in order to really disrupt the food system, there needs to be, you know... In Ohio alone, there should be five to 10 to 20 versions of what I'm doing underneath another moniker probably, mm -hmm. and then extrapolate that out to the country. Now, what you would end up doing if you did that was then you would end up partnering regionally. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you would end up working with maybe your surrounding adjoining states to say, well, in Indiana, we know they do great cantaloupe. In Tennessee, we know that they do um, great uh, peaches or whatever mm -hmm. it might be. And as you then cooperated all that, you would have your small food shed. You know, your food shed is the geographic region mm -hmm. of what, you know, your food comes from. You'd have your real small one where you were getting maybe 80% of your food from, maybe even 70. And then you would then have your bigger food shed that might be the next layer out that still wasn't going all the way down to South America or California or whatever. You know, in the beginning, I always thought that the thing that would put us over the, uh, the hump would be, there would be a, a climate disaster in California, a drought that lasted for four or five years. And mm -hmm. all of the stuff that's coming from out there that's on our shelves in our grocery stores as organic would cease to exist by a natural disaster. That isn't what it took. It was a pandemic. I didn't know it would be that, but yeah. ultimately that was the thing. Well, now I look out there and I'm like, these poor people that are out there, I don't know what's happening with the fires, but it can't mm -hmm. be good. And I don't know what that's going to look like on next year's food distribution in terms of how food is going to get out from those places and work its way east. But you better believe that we've spent seven or eight years preparing for whatever happens. We were prepared for the pandemic because we were preparing for something else you know, how can we continue to reimagine the food system in a sustainable way for us right here? Because I never personally never had to go into a grocery store to get food because I've thought mm -hmm. about it beforehand. Now I still was underprepared. I can't even imagine what would really happen when, you know, it wasn't just toilet paper that was missing off the shelves or flour or mm -hmm. whatever the thing was. But, you know, if there was, if there was a, hardcore, long lasting, whatever it might be. That's what I've been telling our members throughout all this is that, listen, we are talking about food security here. I don't mm -hmm. want to, I'm not trying to scare you into it. The reality happened for a minute. And that is a, um, in my opinion, a, a, a friendly glimpse into what could happen. Mm -hmm. And so what are we going to do now to build up that supply chain and security so that if anything worse than that happened, we would still be able to eat. Now, one of those things is just planting gardens. 
Yeah. Like, you know, lots and lots of our members grow their own food and still buy our food. So everybody's like, they're coming to be like, well, I thought you for sure you wouldn't want somebody else growing because then they wouldn't buy from you. And I'm like, no, I need our people growing food. I'm trying to build a system that will put us out of business. Mm -hmm. I'm not in this for, well, what can, how big can the yellow bird be? I'm in this. Can we save the freaking planet? Mm -hmm. And, and if we can, what will it take to do that? And one of the things, although it seems small, is grow something yourself to have a little bit of, even if it's just a glimpse into what it looks like and how hard it is to grow food. But that's where security starts. You know, but they say that at the end of World War II in the Victory Gardens, 40% of our food supply in the United States was coming out of our backyards. That is ridiculous. I bet it's not 0.0001% right now. And yeah. so you look at that time and what was happening there. And, and we might've been um, sad because of loss of life uh, in a war. We might've been down because we were going through a depression, all those kind of things, but food wasn't an issue because we were growing it in our own backyards and, and we were working as communities, you know, you know how it goes. If I'm growing zucchini and you're growing tomatoes and we're both good at those kind of things, mm -hmm. I don't need to grow tomatoes. You're growing them. So here, let me trade you some zucchini for some tomatoes. You're getting other things happening that are almost not quantifiable in some regard that is growing your, your, your security there in where you're living because now you're reliant on humans that are reliant on nature. So all of those things I think play a role in, in going forward. And ultimately that's where I think we kind of currently find ourselves as we mm -hmm. look towards that. You set me up nicely for the question we've been asking everyone over these last few months, which is um, how has the pandemic impacted your business? It sounds like you're one of the, the rare businesses that has maybe benefited in some ways. So I guess what have you seen over the last few months in terms of, uh, you know, increase in sales or, or the need from customers? I guess what, um, what has happened to Yellowbird yeah. because of this? Before I would give you a number on what it looks like for us in-house, it's been the response of the public that has done this. It has yeah. been, you know, it is, it is our members. I'm not the food shed. This is not the food shed. The yeah. people that are buying the food are the food shed. And so as those folks have shown up and, and put their money in a different place, they have seen what real local food can and does look like and taste like how it changes the dynamic of their family table, how it changes the dynamic of remembering grandma's recipe and mm -hmm. why that thing tasted so good. So for us, I've said it, the pandemic saved us. Yeah. I mean, it was, you know, we were, we were fighting tooth and nail against Goliath and we were given um, the stone that was going to hit Goliath in the head. Now we haven't decapitated Goliath <laughs> as the, as the David story goes, but we certainly were able to knock him down. Mm -hmm. And in doing so, our business grew. I mean, we, we were up a hundred percent and then we were yeah. up 200% and then we were up 300%, 350. Well, week to week in house, it was put, I mean, we were pushed to our limits for months. And yeah. what it felt like was, is that we had just won a hand of poker. We had doubled our pot and we basically said, we've got to push it all back in yeah. because that's how many people are showing up for this food. Can we do it? I don't know. Did we drop the ball along the way? A couple of times, you know, we certainly have um, sent out when you're dealing in fresh food, sometimes that food, and this is a recent one, peaches, you know, they went out and, and we had peaches that were picked pretty much ripe and mm -hmm. went out and were kind of soft. Now, 
most people got great peaches, but some did not. And we've got to turn and we've got to say, you know, apologize, mm -hmm. give them a credit, more than happy to do it. That's the game that we're in. And we want you to have the best experience possible. Here's what happened that I did not anticipate. The sales uh, numbers go up, 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 mm -hmm. up, up, up. I'm thinking, you know, they go uh, and then they correct and then they come down. They'll land at some new point. Well, they went up like a roller coaster. And mm -hmm. if you've ever been on one of those roller coasters that goes up and then kind of jaunts around for a while yeah, before yeah. it goes down, it started jaunting around and never came down. And so our new normal became a sustainable number, not mm -hmm. only for us, but for all the growers. Like, hey, listen, we've increased demand begin to grow, begin to think about 2021 and you're planting for that because you're not going to be, you know, this year we might've spent 30 or $40,000 with you next year. We plan on spending a hundred with you mm -hmm. because we've gotten a sales monster where it needs to be so that the people that are wanting this food and willing to pay for it are saying, we'll never go back. Mm -hmm. You know, this is, this is where we want to live now. And so that has given us the ability, which is always the thing from the beginning to go to the ag side and begin to build up that supply on that side in a way that is sustainable uh, to the human, to the animal, to the soil. And that's, what's exciting for me. That's the buzz for me. Listen, I, I sell all the time just because I'm a persuasive person. So if I like, a, you know, a certain movie, I'm going to try to get you to watch that movie because I think you're going to like it too. At the end of the day, that's not what gives me a buzz. The thing yeah. that gives me a buzz is when we show up at the growers and producers and we're saying, listen, just keep going. We've got it. We've, we've, we're on the cusp of something here that is going to make you and, and your future generations that are living on the small family farm able to continue to do what you're doing. And that to me is like, okay, now there might be hope. There's lots of places where I don't see hope, but yeah. I'm not trying to fix those ones because I don't know how. I'm trying to fix, at least contribute to a, a solution on this thing. And that's where I'm like, oh, the people are, are getting this in their mouth because the food mm -hmm. speaks for itself. We're just the conduit. All I'm trying to do is get consumer A, B, or C connected with grower A, you know, D, E, or F, because once that connection happens, then it all, it all, the, all the light bulbs start going off. And so that has begun to happen in a way that it never happened before. And I think it's because people are super concerned about the pandemic one, mm -hmm. two, all the recalls that happened on romaine lettuce and peaches was the one that I would, you know, just mentioned all the different things. And as they begin to become aware of what food really is and how it's really grown and what it really does in your body, et cetera, et cetera, they're beginning to make choices for change in their own personal life. That's what we want. When I, when I started this company, I talked about ag. And people kind of liked it. And some people bought in because of that. When I switched the messaging four or five years ago to your personal health, that this is the best thing for you, your family, your children, that's when the emotional response started of you're right. And I need this tool in my tool belt to, to, to couple with my yoga practice, my meditation, my prayer, my church, whatever it might be, because it's not different than those things. It's the same, if not even equally or as more important as, you know, I don't know anybody that meditates three times a day, but I know a lot of people that eat three times a day. <laughs> and so as you're fueling that, everything else then becomes even more profound, more powerful, more poignant, more able to heal and deliver the thing that you're hoping it delivers. And so that's where I'm like, man, let us give you the tools necessary 
to enhance your, your, your own life, the, mm-hmm. maybe your spouse, your children at school. I mean, I got so many moms that sit on PTO, PTA boards that have brought us into their school because they want their kids when they're at, of course, this was pre-pandemic, at that facility to have real food because they know they're getting real food at home. Yeah. And so how can we then get that through a system that is budgeted for 80 cents a kid to try and feed them? And, and there's change happening there. And to be able to facilitate some of that has been an honor. So, you know, it's like, man, you start getting it in your own stomach and it starts to affect your own brain. And then all of a sudden everything starts to light up and you're like, mm-hmm. oh, man, what else is possible? Yeah, absolutely. I wanted to come back um, to the issue of, of what was maybe driving the demand. You touched on it, but I, I imagine, uh, you know, I imagine I knew there were shortages in uh, supply for like meat in some yep. areas. So I imagine yep. that was a factor. I imagine um, I would also guess that people not wanting to go to their grocery store yep. was maybe a factor. The yep. ability to sort of easily pick up something else. Yep. Are there any other factors that were maybe driving this? Yeah, in sure. So, so quantitatively, that last one you said, let me give you a figure. Yeah. Pre-pandemic, we were doing 60 home deliveries a week, which was great. That means to us, that was awesome. Mm-hmm. At one point in the surge of the pandemic, we did 660 deliveries in one, home deliveries in one week. Wow. So the, the shift in the buying habit, absolutely, that's a quantitative measurement of how that looked. Mm-hmm. Also, think about this. If I go online right now and I Google um, home deliveries or food deliveries or, or whatever, Obviously, the big box stores are going to come up first. Whole Foods, Kroger, Aldi, whatever it might be. We might be on the 17th page of Google. I don't even know. that We're not getting very many looks. I never go past the first page of Google. So yeah. whatever's behind there, I'm not seeing. Well, during pandemic, you go to Kroger and you put an order in. And they're saying, we'll have it for you, but it's going to be two and a half weeks. Yeah. So being the 17th page on Google, I'm now the girl that everybody wants to take to the dance. Because <laughs> I'm saying... I can have it for you next week. We've got yeah. it in house. We've built the supply. It's here. And that's what I mean by we kept going all in where we were seeing the numbers grow so fast that we were like, do we have enough food for this? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Turns out we did. Turns out there's not a food shortage or even a meat shortage, but the supply chains busted like yeah. we knew it was. The pandemic revealed nothing to us that we didn't already know. We knew this. We just didn't know. I mean, nobody else knew it. We knew the food system was broken. All the pandemic did was shine a light on it. So now we're looking at that and we're saying, there, you know, even if Smithfield, which is the plants that closed down for mm-hmm. the pork stuff and, and put a shortage on all that, even if they were fully staffed and running through all that meat, is that really the conditions of the meat that you want to be eating mm-hmm. in this time and the conditions that we want to put those workers through? Is this really the way that this is going to work? Because it doesn't feel sustainable. And, and that intuition, that gut reaction, that like, oh, awakening moment, there's going to be more of those. Yeah. And as they happen, you know, you can't build a house of cards and then pull a card away and expect that it's just going to, you know, that it ever was sustainable. You know, a, a small wind would blow the whole thing over. So I'm not afraid of, of a broken food system mm-hmm. collapsing. What I'm afraid of is that we haven't seen the writing on the wall and built something behind it that will at least give a fighting chance to people who want to participate in it. The worst thing in the world, and we never had to do this, the worst thing that I could have imagined was having to say to somebody, we can't fill your order this week, or you can't, you can't put an order in um, because we can't handle it. Um, yeah. And 
uh, I know that they were, you know, I know Amazon was doing that at some point. They were saying, we can't take any new food orders. If you weren't ordering food from us before, you've got to be on a waiting list. Yep. Never had to do that. But that was our biggest thing, thinking, what if somebody that has the luxury of getting our product is getting it um, delivered and then somebody that needs it for necessity, an at-risk elderly couple or person that needs a home delivery, and this is the only way that food's going to get to them. I don't know their demographic. And so what if I have to say no to that? And I don't even know that I'm saying no to it specifically. I'm just saying, yeah, we're at a max capacity and now, and now they're not getting that. Luckily, we never did. But can we build now knowing whatever's going to happen in the future so that we never have to do that? I, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Could it be so disastrous that at some point we would say we've maxed capacity? Mm -hmm. Possibly. I hope that that never happens, obviously. Well, I think we're, we're getting near the end of our time here on Zoom, and I don't want to uh, uh, have us get cut off. But I, I do think we've covered um, uh, a pretty wide gamut of, of, of topics. Is there anything you can think of that we haven't touched on? About well, just the, yeah, just the hows. Um, you know, basically, it's all done through the web. Yeah. So we have a website, yellowbirdfs.com. You go in, you create an account, just like you're creating a Netflix account. Mm -hmm. You pick what you want. You pick the how you want it, what you want to, you know, what size you want, all that kind of stuff. It kind of leads you through all that. And then it literally is a, is a debit, just like um, an auto deduct from Netflix. So yeah. you're on a schedule. You're going to pick if you want to pick it up at home or we do parking lot deliveries, which we're, we're basically developing. We got a new truck and it'll be almost like a one touch system where mm -hmm. you'll walk up. It'll kind of come out on a dolly uh, or like on a little thing that'll, you know, we won't have to touch it. It'll land. We'll have somebody there saying, okay, this is who you are. This is your stuff. They can just pick it up and take it to their car. But we go to parking lots throughout the week and we, and we deliver that way. So you can kind of pick that. And, and that's how you really are in control of your own destiny on that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. If you want to add on a store order and get milk, cheese, eggs, dips, charcuteries, whatever it might be, certainly, absolutely. You can add that on. You can get that and not get a subscription box. You don't mm -hmm. have to get the weekly box. You can just grocery shop. Many people do that. We have probably 40 or 50 veggie items up. You can get your lettuces and your potatoes and mm -hmm. everything like that without subscribing to a box. So you can do all those different things. We've tried to make it as just as easy as possible for every single person to be able to get in, get their information in, decide how they want it. I want it every other week. I wanted it once a month. I just want to put mm -hmm. one order in and give it a try, whatever it might be. So that's all done through the web and your information goes in there and stays in there secure, just like you were buying from any other place online. And then you handle your choices uh, inside of that uh, portal or whatever you would call it. So that's how the whole thing's done. And, and um, we just want to see people. We want we, you know, we love talking food. We love interacting. So um, through Facebook, Instagram, um, you know, customer service emails, we get back to everybody. And that in itself has turned into mm -hmm. multiple jobs. Um, but we don't ever want to be not responsive. If you reach out and you've got a complaint, we're not afraid of a complaint. It's fresh food. There's going to be complaints. Yeah. We expect them. So what can we do to, you know, do you want a refund? Do you want us to give you that again next week and, and do better? Whatever it might be, we're going to take care of you. So ultimately, sometimes that in itself keeps customers. Hey, we just can't believe somebody responded. We hear that all the time. Yeah. It, you know, that's crazy to me that there wouldn't be a customer service response. And that just happens. So yeah, we try to just make all that uh, a, a good experience so that there's, there's very few reasons. Now, at the end of the day, 
it's still not for everybody, you know, and we understand right. that and people have tried it and they just, they don't, um, you know, they don't want that much food. They don't want a surprise. They don't, there could be all kinds of reasons. We completely understand and are just thankful that we had the opportunity, you know. Benji, thank you very much for giving me some time today to walk me through uh, your business. I wish you luck going forward.